Hello, everyone. Welcome to Jazz Talk Seattle. My name is Max Holmberg, and I'm here with... Josh. Josh Howe. And today, we are going to be talking about Josh's new album, which is about to be released. It's called Bilingualism, mm-hmm. and I got to listen to it, and I think it's a pretty groundbreaking record. And um, well, Thank you. I think we should... Uh, I have a bunch of questions about it, and... Unless you have anything to say, I'll just start asking questions. Please start asking questions. Okay. So, this record is, um, it has accordion, it has upright bass, and it has trumpet. That's right. That in and of itself is not terribly common uh, for a jazz record. Maybe not in North America, but... Oh? Yeah. <laughs> There's, uh, well, I mean, I feel like in in the in North America the accordion is already a little less common in jazz circles, but I'm by no means the first person to play jazz on the accordion. There are um uh, by no means the only American person to be playing jazz on the accordion either. Uh Richard Galliano is this French accordionist that I really like who's done a lot of work. I think we've talked about one of his records on this podcast. I think we have. Um and there's an Italian accordionist called uh Leach- Luciano Biondini, who plays uh, a duo record with a trumpet player that I like. And, oh, right, also there's a Dave Douglas record. Um, he's a trumpet player that's got yeah. uh, an accordionist, Gl- Guy Kluvisek. I have a really hard time pronouncing this I think extremely Slavic last name. Uh, but this record called Charms of the Night Sky is a record that I've been really, really attracted to uh, for a number of years. And turns out Ray Larson, the trumpet player in my trio... Uh, also really like this record and we I was listening to this record a bunch and I thought man I gotta start playing with a trumpet player to make some music that sounds um, in a similar vein and called Ray and we started playing duets and then pretty soon we started calling the bass player and then that's pretty much how the trio got started that's awesome well um, speaking about the sound itself it still is pretty rare even if there is one record that has trumpet accordion and upright bass that it exists there might be more but that we know of um other than this one i really like the the the, the frequency ranges that mm. it represents and then in addition to that um throughout the album the transitions and the the interplay between who is taking the melody or the little bits of talking or language in between the melody or I love the interplay and how it works uh, cool. in comparison to like a traditional jazz trio or quartet or quintet with drums, bass, and harmony or melody. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll definitely have that to look forward to if you listen to this record. There are a lot more layers to this, though, other than instrumentation. Um, let's talk about the title and where these songs come from. So... There are a lot of funny funny song titles on this uh, that I was going to ask about. Uh-huh. Let's see. Uh, the one that came to mind was Coco Rabbit Marine Club. Yep. And then um, I was wondering if Still Raining had anything to do with Seattle. It and then, does. <laughs> so I had a bunch of questions about titles, but can you just talk a little bit about where these songs come from before we get into that? Cool. Yeah. Well, there's a whole mix of songs. There's 10 tracks on this record. I think uh, a little over half of them are originals and just ones that I wrote specifically for this trio to play. Very cool. And um, 
a number of them uh, the rest of them are jazz reharms or arrangements of old Chinese songs that kind of run the gamut between 1970s Hong Kong pop song all the way back to an old tune from the 1700s which one is that from the 1700s Jasmine Flower okay I was, I was that was my guess um where did you find these songs I mean you have lived in China correct I lived in China for a couple of years uh for those that don't know I uh, my I'm of Chinese descent and um I lived in China for a couple of years I lived in Malaysia for a long time uh, my whole family is Chinese and just was around a lot of this music. So Jasmine Flower is a melody that's, it's like, it's a very common folk melody and it just appears everywhere in TV shows, movies, or like, you know, kids sing it, uh, like in kindergarten and stuff. So it's just a melody that's kind of been in my head for a long time. Um, some of the other tunes, um, like life is like a game of chess comes from this singer that i really like um out of the hong kong pop scene between i think the 60s and 80s was when he was most active and um my dad really liked the singer and so i listened to some of his records when i was growing up in high school and my wife rosanna also really likes the singer and i think she was the one who introduced the song to me so First of all, the nerd in me is really excited that there was a pop song that was called Anything Related to Chess. <laughs> but anyway, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I think I've I've heard Jasmine Flower before, and I think even probably a lot of Americans would recognize it, even if they didn't know why. Yeah, it's showed up. Man, if you look at the Wikipedia article, I think it's showed up a couple times in Western media, and I can't recall off the top of my head where it's shown up, but it has shown up at least a couple times. Yeah. You'd have to really listen carefully um, to pick out the melody from the harmony because you've added some pretty cool uh, chords to all these songs. Um, and if you're listening to the harmony in these songs, I was hearing everything from things that reminded me of old Irish sea singing songs to jazz standard harmony to like americana folk harmony to modern jazz harmony and it's even classical harmony too so i was hearing like a ton of really different and interesting um chords under all these melodies and solos so congrats on being able to pull that off first <laughs> Thank of all you. um let's see i had some other questions here um Oh, actually, also, I should mention the styles are equally diverse. I mean, you have a pretty straightforward funk song on this record. Mm -hmm. You have a pretty hard swinging song on this record. You have some, maybe what could be called walking ballads, maybe, or like... Sure, yeah. Just kind of slower... That's a good description. Um, softer songs, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but they're all over the place, and it's awesome what can i say i get bored by playing the same style <laughs> well so you have a lot of different influences too and i I sure. know you as a good friend and i know that you like funk music mm -hmm. and uh so that had to make it on the record i'm mm -hmm. assuming okay uh <laughs> nice um let's see i'm not going to give too much more about the music away but uh i wanted to talk just a little bit about um ray and 
Trevor is playing, right? Troy. Troy. Mm-hmm. Dang it. Troy is playing. I don't know Troy. Troy is a Seattle musician? Great. Yeah. Great okay. bass player. Troy Shufflevine. I think he went to Cornish. Um, me and Ray started playing with him, oh, a little, oh, maybe about a year ago, actually. Okay. And uh, yeah, I really like playing with him. He's got a really, uh, just an incredible command of the bass and just got this great musical voice too. And one of the things I really like about playing with Troy in a trio is that he he doesn't just play what you tell him to. He also kind of messes with it and throws stuff at you as you're playing to give you stuff to react to. And it's like, I get to have a conversation with the bass player. So I've played with uh, um, other players before in other bands and in other contexts that you put a chart in front of them. They're great. They play solos, they'll walk. Uh, but that's like, they do what you tell them to do. And and Troy like amps it up a little. And I, I really like that about his Which mind. Which definitely helps the communication on a record as open as, as sure. this. Um, and then Ray... I heard some Terrence Blanchard in his playing and a lot of uh, just really nicely placed sustained notes that transition between chords and just do the music wonders. Ray Larson is a fantastic trumpet player. A fantastic trumpet player. And I am so, so, so lucky to get to play with those two. And uh one of the things that i've really truly truly been um floored at how uh those two have come to this music is that night so neither of them grew up listening to chinese music at all and that's not something that's in their blood or in their heritage but i started bringing these arrangements in and had them listen to some of the original recordings uh, or recordings of the original content um, that i was pulling from and it's really, really clear to me how both of them spent a lot of time um, listening. Ray even went so far as to transcribe like instrumental licks that happened in between the singer's melodies and stuff. Whoa! And it shows up in his that's solos. Awesome. It's okay. really, really cool. I was wondering about that. That's awesome. Um, cool. Yeah, Ray's a great player. I had another question about a title, and this one I've been a little bit nervous to even ask because I'm mm-hmm. not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, theme <laughs> from the Sunset Glow at Zishuangbana. Pretty good. Is that anywhere close to... Pretty close. Zishuangbana. Zishuangbana. Okay. So, yeah, that's... I really, really love this piece. Um, it's a theme or a melody that I took from a, a pipa concerto. And for those of you that don't know, a, a pipa is like a Chinese lute. It's like a pear-shaped guitar thing with four strings and uh, a fretboard. And uh, so there's this uh, Chinese orchestral um, concerto that I like first heard probably when I was in high school. My grandfather just had this CD uh, with some Chinese orchestral stuff on it. And I don't even remember why I was listening to it, but I, I was. And this concerto really, really grabbed a hold of me, I guess. And there's this one section of melody that I just really loved. And it happens near the beginning of the first movement in the concerto. And I just keep listening to that part again and again and again and again, like all the way back since high school. And I thought, man, I really want to do something with this. And so uh, a little bit ago, I spent, I lifted the melody and spent some time with it, wrote some different, more modern sounding jazz changes uh, to accompany it. And that's pretty much where that came from. Awesome. Have you ever seen the sunset glow at 
I have not ever seen the Sunset Glow there. No, it's a it's a place in uh, uh, Yunnan Province in southern China, which I have never been to, but I thought cool. it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit, bit of mystery there. Um, so you guys don't know this who are listening, but as we were setting up today, Josh answered the phone in Spanish, and now I know Josh can speak Spanish, and I know that he can speak Chinese and english and probably some more languages that i don't know about <laughs> um how many languages do you speak uh i feel like the answer to that question be is honest a, <laughs> i feel like the answer to that question is about the same as how many instruments do you play oh, okay right okay. and it's like all right max how many instruments do you play well professionally or otherwise see that's the <laughs> yeah. thing like it's it's really hard to draw a line for what qualifies as like i speak this language or i play this instrument and i i enjoy both languages and instruments and uh spend a lot of time trying different ones because i think it's a lot of fun to try out a new language or try out a new instrument but whether or not i would claim to speak it well is is another question so the point is Josh speaks a lot of languages and he made an album called bilingualism, but, um, and this focuses on ch basically the combination of, of basically jazz and, and Chinese music. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, how would you say the, being someone who actually speaks the languages that are in both of those places in the world, yeah. and I guess the U S and, and China, how would you say the languages of those places affect the music, like the the verbal language? That's a good question. Um, I don't know if directly from the languages specifically, but more about the the musical traditions that I've got my feet in. And I mean, obviously, I've grown up being a jazz musician and playing jazz music, and that that's that's been a, a big part of my musical life. Uh, but Chinese music as or mu the that musical tradition has been um, kind of in the background and always there as a mm -hmm. thing that I've been listening to here and there also. Uh, so I think in well the, the 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 title of the song comes from oh man so I guess in the past couple of years especially I've been spending a lot of time trying to connect with um, the Chinese part of my heritage. And so I grew up speaking Mandarin, and that's a language that I am I speak decently well, but not as well as I would like. And I definitely don't read it as well as I would like, and it's something I've been really working hard on. And the song is really about um, how to balance and hold on to different parts of your identity or your cultural identity when it's hard to when you're surrounded by something else hmm so yeah that's that's largely what the piece is about that's really cool i like that i like that a lot so we're actually going to take a little break and listen to bilingualism and you guys can check it out for yourselves here it is <laughs> Thank you. 
what a cool song that was um i really like the phrasing that you do and have the trumpet playing and how that all works together uh, perhaps we can talk a little more about this i was just kind of thinking about how phrasing and things like we both know the jazz language pretty well um and we both know how to speak English pretty well. And if you were to examine, uh, this is something I've been thinking about recently, but if you were to examine the length of phrases when we're just talking, like we are right now, and and the ups and downs, the inflections of words and phrases and things, mm-hmm. I think it has a lot to compare to um, jazz phrasing, especially in solos. Sure, and so I've always kind of been curious if this is uh, the case around the world as well. I mean, I, I'm assuming it is where you have like a a spoken language and then the music from that place basically um, heavily relates to the phrasing and the inflections of that spoken language. I think there's definitely a relationship between the two, uh, but it's not something I've given a ton of thought to and I don't... Um... Uh, in terms of phrasing, I guess, yeah, I, I don't have a, the greatest sense for uh, what that relationship looks like. I do think that phrase length, there's got to be a hard limit to that because if you're singing, you're going to run out of breath eventually and <laughs> we're all true. humans. And so that, that that's like a definite physical limitation. Uh, but there are for sure uh, language constraints on it as well. I, I read this really interesting paper because um, uh, I'm a nerd on... <laughs> writing uh songwriting in mandarin versus cantonese and mandarin and cantonese are both tonal languages which means um the pitch content of the syllables that you're pronouncing affect the meaning of the words can you give us an example uh yeah so uh for example the word my means to buy but the word my means to sell my my no my 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 yeah, there you go. Oh, cool. Uh, so in Mandarin, uh, with with song lyrics, you pretty much just disregard the tones entirely and then uh, put the syllables on top of whatever the melody is. And with context, you can generally figure out what it means. Interesting. But that's not true in Cantonese. The, the, mel- the melodic contour of the song has to match what the lyrics sound like. So if you listen to somebody from Hong Kong oh, reading whoa. out the lyrics of a song, you can hear traces of the melody. It's It's pretty fascinating. Holy cow. That is really fascinating. So uh, that's, I guess, maybe a little bit of what you're talking about. Definitely. Yeah. I I would love to check that out more. Um, I might have to do that on my own. Cool. Um, So one more thing I wanted to ask um, is, have you ever heard of any other people bridging the gap between jazz and Chinese music? Yeah. There are... Uh, definitely um others that have uh tread this road um so two chinese american musicians that i've more recently become aware of are fred ho and john jang and they do um i think like uh, as far back as like the 70s and 80s were a part of a chinese american jazz like thing going on and um it's a little bit more avant-garde than the music that I usually like to listen to and play, but it is really cool. And there's certainly uh, musicians in China, Taiwan, um, Hong Kong, Singapore, Malaysia, the places that there are a lot of Chinese-speaking people. 
um, musicians there that are doing um, this kind of music as well. But I'm a little less connected to them. Um, there's a group out of Taiwan called Siju Kong that I listened to when I was in high school that I really liked. And um, there's um, more and more uh, musicians from Taiwan and Hong Kong that have been following in, on Instagram and trying to see what they're doing and take a peek at it and um, see if I can get connected to that in any way. Yeah, I've heard the jazz scene is is pretty big actually in China at the moment. In China, so I think there's... it's it's growing. Um, for a long time, it was cut off and dormant, especially right. during and immediately after the Cultural Revolution. Uh, but it's been yeah, it's been growing. I bet there's some pretty cool stuff going on over there. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, I don't have too much more, but I I do want to ask about a couple more things. One is uh, album art. Mm-hmm. Um, did your brother make this? In part. In part? Yes. Well, it looks really cool, first of all. I'm tell us really about stoked about the design. Uh, so another kind of art that I've been really into for the past number of years is Chinese calligraphy and I really like the way the brush strokes look and I wanted it to be a part of um, this the, the album design and my brother does not do calligraphy uh, but my dad has a friend um, Albert Ma that is a calligrapher and this is a pretty serious like art isn't it oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's, for those it's, who don't know this is like a yeah it's a thing yeah uh, it's uh, as revered an art as uh, painting and music, and it's, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a whole thing. So, uh, yeah, my dad knows this uh, friend who's uh, a calligrapher, and I um, asked him to write um, bilingualism in uh, with a brush, and he sent it to me, and I actually he sent a couple options. He was very generous and wrote a couple, uh, oh, wow. wrote a couple times, and... Uh, my brother Caleb uh, took it and ran with it and built an album design around it. Very cool. Can we talk about another song on the record? This one is entitled, uh, let's see here, Mother is Best in the World. <laughs> yeah, the translation of that is, uh, it's hard to translate. In Mandarin, it's, uh, and literally that means yeah mother is the best in the world or there is only mother in the world is mama the part that means mother yes oh cool and it's it's a pretty old song i think it's from the 50s uh so not as old as one might think but um it was from a movie in the 50s and they had this kid singing it and about her mom and it's just been a song that's kind of lived in the chinese culture for ever since and it's a song that shows up a lot like i don't know kids sing it for mother's day at school and stuff like that whoa and I just really like the melody of it. Uh, oh, yeah. Fun fact. The kid who sang it in the movie later grew up to be an actress um, and starred in one of my favorite martial arts movies with Jet Li. Whoa. <laughs> it was awesome. Anyway, so she sang the song as a kid and I, I've just um, really liked the song and wanted to do it. Very cool. So this is a is a Chinese song originally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you were putting this together for the record, um, how did you go about creating the arrangement and the changes the the chords? Mm-hmm. This one out of all of the Chinese songs that are on this record. Um, yeah, I guess I could ask about really any of the Chinese songs. Right. In, in well, this sense, one, in but... part, well, so, so a lot of them I, I tried to do like crazy reharms with and, um, but this one in particular, I stayed fairly close to, um, 
uh, close to what the changes are um, off of the original record. So I listened to it, I lifted it, uh, spent time um, like trying to figure out some stuff, and uh, there are places where the harmonies are not super clear what they should, should be, or maybe my ears are just not good enough to pick up what they were, and so I invented some stuff, and then I took a couple tiny little harmonic detours here and there, but uh, for the most part, it's it's pretty similar to what the original was. So here, this might be a stupid question, but are there... Are any of these Chinese songs, like, originally without, like, chordal accompaniment? Yeah. Jasmine Flower, um, don't, I don't know if there was an original harmony to it. It might have just been a melody. Interesting. Um, uh, yeah. So those, those harmonies, um, I mean, there's, like, quote-unquote obvious ways to write harmony. Yeah, I mean, right? you could, As we you have know. implied harmony if you, if, but that's really a kind of a Western thing, too, though. True. So, mm-hmm. it could be argued that there is no right or wrong way to do that necessarily which is really cool because you have a blank blank book (laughs) you can write whatever you want but for this one there there was a harmony attached to it um okay and but i'm i admit to having messed with it a little cool uh one other question so i talked briefly about earlier but the transitions between basically who's talking in this music Mm -hmm. not just on this track but on, on all the tracks did you guys coordinate kind of who is going to be taking the lead or or was i mean are a lot of these things right like transcribed from recordings or well, how, did, how did that all work did you guys talk about it ahead of time like how you wanted a little to coordinate? bit so i mean we had a large or sense of the a large sense of where we were going to go like who was going to solo in what order kind of and Ray and Troy being extremely sensitive players um, were able to run with that and insert their own voices to where they wanted to. And so I think, um, like, I'm, I'm an accordion player and a piano player, and so I'm a comper, which means, like, when I play behind soloists, it's something uh, most chordal players are work on that as a thing. But it's, uh, it's something that Ray's worked on as a trumpet player, too, which is that I think is unusual for a horn player to have done. And he's um, good at playing little snippets to almost comp behind um, when I'm soloing or when, when Troy's soloing. Cool. Well, perhaps we can give this one a listen. Cool. Yeah.
what another awesome song that was thank you thanks yeah i mean you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> uh how was that recorded how did, how did you record the album well we recorded at uh david lang studio uh which is down in fife and, in fife. and for those who don't know him he's also the accordionist in pearl django and just an incredible accordionist. Honestly, I listened to his records uh, or his playing with Pearl Django a lot, especially when I was getting started. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. And he uh, runs a recording studio down at Fife and just is uniquely good in the area at recording accordions. And so every time I want to do something, I like he's one of the first people I think of. Very cool. I mean, that would make sense. Yep, totally. Cool. So... When can people expect this album to be available? This album is going to be officially out on September 5th, uh, which is uh, Thursday, I think. And it is a Thursday. Mm -hmm. My trio and I will be playing um, a release show at the Royal Room on September 5th, Thursday. Um, the music starts at 8. I think doors open at 7. And we're going to be having the wonderfully fantastic 200 trio um, that Max plays in. Uh, opening up for us that I do and that I'm excited about that'll be a really fun night I strongly recommend you guys attend um, yeah so the Royal Room did they uh, take tickets ahead of time they do take tickets ahead of time okay. if you because uh, sometimes they don't do that there right they, they do uh, this time if you go to my website joshuahow.com there should be a link to the Facebook event which will link to the tickets uh, yeah awesome and I think 200 Trio will have some new original songs as well that have never been performed. So That's pretty exciting. Another reason to go. Uh, are you doing any other shows that you want to talk about upcoming? Or Yeah. Uh, the same trio is, let's see, playing at, um, if you missed the release show, we'll, we'll be playing again um, in Capitol Hill at an Italian restaurant called Osteria La Spiga. Oh, cool. Uh, on Saturday, October 19th. Um, my swing band, How Short, is playing at Watershed in Northgate on September 14th uh, from noon to 2. So that's another place that I'm playing. Very cool. So to recap, Bilingualism is, in my opinion, a groundbreaking revolutionary record. That's very kind, Max. Within the jazz tradition and Chinese music tradition. And if we're really talking about jazz, jazz is a combination of tons of different cultures and music basically put together over the years and i think josh has expanded upon that lineage with this record and added something totally new and unique so i highly recommend you check it out and uh, if you want to give us a like on facebook um, look up jazz talk seattle and you can find this podcast on stitcher itunes soundcloud etc and stay tuned for the next one thanks josh thanks max